Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. Not enough words, right? Hey, if you're a guest here today, um, if, if this is your first time to Vine Life, my name is Luke. So glad to have you guys here with us today, and uh, we hope that it's a a beautiful day for you, refreshing, full of grace, just like we're singing about. You guys alive today? All right, I'm gonna need some. I'm gonna need some love and some juice flowing back this way. All right, it's one of those days. We had. Do you ever have one of those days where things just uh, like aren't going right, like how they're supposed to go? Nobody. Anybody ever? Well, you probably wouldn't know it. Behind the scenes, we had some technical difficulties, and you know, that always kind of gets a little weird. But uh, you know what? That's okay. Um, how many of you guys know that it's, it's good to not have to perform? Even in the house of God, it's, it's good to not feel like you have to perform and impress everybody in the church. That we're celebrating today that Jesus is sufficient. He's enough for us today, Right? So I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Hey, let's do this today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Colossians. How many, how many of you guys got a chance to read through Colossians this week? Some of us. So you guys know, um, we, last week we were starting a, a journey through the book of Colossians. And uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun for me personally digging into this. This is one of those letters that was so foundational for the early church as, as the people of God were being formed into the likeness of Jesus as they were getting legs to this, this fledgling little movement called the church. Um, the Christians, the tiny Christs, as they were just flooding across the, the land, risking their lives for God, they, they would congregate in different cities. And, and the way they would communicate, um, they, didn't have, um, they didn't have Twitter back then, so it made it a little more challenging to pass things along. Like, they didn't know how each other was doing, so they so what we know, the way that they communicated was they would send letters to each other. And oftentimes Paul would write these letters and uh, he would send them to a church. And then oftentimes he said, you know, it's, after you read this, like put it back in the envelope and send it on to the next church, right? Like this is good stuff. And we want you to keep circulating these letters. And, and, uh, and so this book of Colossians, as we're opening up to this, it's so it's an interesting book because it's another letter that Paul probably wrote from prison in a dungy cell probably back in the, the late A.D. 50s, okay? And, um, and from what we know, Colossae is probably the most insignificant church Paul ever wrote to. There's not a whole lot of reason why he would have wrote there except that a wonderful disciple, uh, an apostle, or not an apostle, a disciple, a, a new believer named Epaphras sent word back to Paul and said, hey, there's this great explosion that's happening in Colossae. These, these men and women are giving their lives to Jesus, and they're full of the Spirit. They're full of the love of God. And we, we talked about that last week in this first part of, of, of Colossians chapter 1, where, where Paul would just begin blessing them as a father would bless his own kids. And he would, he would just start speaking blessing over them, calling them into maturity, calling them into a lifestyle of gratitude and thankfulness. And so that's where we get to pick up in the second part of Colossians chapter 1. 
We're going to start in verse 15, and this is great. It doesn't really get much better than this, okay? When it comes to, like, Scripture, like, if you have a new Bible and you haven't underlined anything yet, this is going to be the passage you want to underline. I mean, you want to get it all messed up. I'm talking highlighters. I'm talking sticky notes. I'm talking, I'm talking pens, whatever you need to do. Dog ear the page. An extra bookmark. This is after Paul opens up this letter in Colossians. And I'm going to read verse 15 through verse 29. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Can I get an amen anywhere? And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make Known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning every, everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Come on, amen. Somebody better do some jumping jacks in the room, man. I'm telling you, it's just this, this passage, this scripture is so potent. And knowing that Colossae is maybe the most insignificant church, he almost saved his best material for the least significant group. It was just leaking out of him. And so one of the things that we should point out, this first part, verse 15 through 21 15 through 20, I should say. Scholars refer to this as the Christ hymn. The way that this first part is structured, Paul was actually writing as a poem. Now, it probably doesn't look like that in your Bible, but when you actually study this structure of how this is laid out and there's certain repetitions, there's certain, there's certain beats, there's certain, there's certain clues that would indicate that after Paul opens up his letter and he's talking about growing them in maturity and, and, and establishing them that they would be a people who are thankful, growing in gratitude, 
that he moves on and he, he moves on. He says, all right, we need to talk about Jesus. If we're going to do these things, if you're going to live a life of thanksgiving, if you're going to grow up into the maturity that we're talking about, we've got to kind of level, level the fields here and we need to talk about Jesus. And then the way Paul starts to talk about Jesus isn't just through teaching, it's through song and poetry. As he would go into this passage, he would say these things. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And so he starts, he starts poetically describing the supremacy of Jesus because to Paul, this, there's, there's really nothing else we can even talk about here. He's, he's, he's going to get into some correction. He's going to get into some adjustments that need to happen in this particular re- church in this region. But the only way that he can do that is by reestablishing him on the person and the work, the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ. That there's really nothing else we can talk about until we get that part in order. And so Paul would start, as he, he starts on this riff, on this Christ hymn, exalting the Son of God as both the Lord of creation and the Lord of new creation. Do you guys get that? Jesus is the Lord of creation. Before anything existed, he was. Before anything, before anything existed, he was, he was before it all. And everything was created for him, through him and for him. Not just did he make it all, but he made it for himself. He made you for himself. He made everything you see outside these windows for himself. God pre-existed this entire thing we call life. And what I love about this song, it's one of those worship songs, one of the first worship songs that we'll ever read about that doesn't include a my, a me, a we, an our, a you. Listen, I love our songs. I love the songs we just sang. I believe in them. I believe that we come with heart cries to God as David did, <clears throat> we bring our whole lives to Jesus. But isn't it refreshing to somebody here to just for a second take a break from ourselves and recenter us on the one who was and is and is to come? Isn't that so refreshing? Aren't you sick of life being about you? It's so tiring. We think that's what we want. It's not actually what we want. Or maybe it's what we want, but it's not actually what we need. Because the life best lived is a life absorbed into this story that is eternal and supreme. This is one of those wor- the times you use the word supreme. You don't get to use the word supreme often. We don't have a supreme ruler. I mean, maybe Taco Bell, there's Taco Supreme. That's about it. But Jesus supreme. He reigns above it all. It's like he's not just a better version of us. He's entirely other. And we have, to, we have to be established there. It has to be a place that we settle into. And, and it's important. I was reading a statistic just, um, just this last few weeks. Uh, even among the evangelical community, they asked the question about Jesus. And, and, and the study came out and said, a majority of evangelicals believe that Jesus was the first and greatest being created by the Father. 78%, Okay. Of people actually think that Jesus was a created being. He was just one of God's best creations, right? 
totally missing out and saying, no, 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 Jesus wasn't just a better version of us. Like Jesus, he made it all. All of it was from him and through him and for him. Can we just settle into that? It's important for us. It's a foundational thing for us here today. Because in our culture here today, as soon as you walk out these doors, you are discipled into another message, whether you believe it or not. Anytime you turn on the TV, anytime you go to work, the air we breathe, we are actually, when we leave this place and outside of Scripture, we're actually being discipled into other versions of the the faith. And this is what the church in Colossae is about to, to find out from Paul in upcoming chapters. But in our version, in, in, in the day that we live in, Jesus is, he's a great teacher, he's a wise man, he's very well respected, he's a prophet, he's even a friend, he's got words of wisdom. But the whole idea of Jesus being Lord, can we just agree that's not a popular idea? We don't do very well with lords in our culture. Like Jesus, you are great in friend zone. And even like love, like your love, I'll take the love. I'll take that part. Grace and kindness and compassion. Culture loves that about Jesus. But the the moment he enters into this royalty talk, this kingship stuff, we're like, hold on a second, I'm American. I learned that lesson, you know, we learned that lesson a couple hundred years ago. Kings go bad. And so even in our culture, the society we live in, we don't do very well with the lordship of Jesus, but you have to understand Jesus cannot be added to your life a la carte. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. There's no power in the name of Jesus when he's added to the plethora of things your life is already designed around. The power of Jesus is only in surrender to his gentle kingship, his loving lordship. He's shown us a different way to exercise kingship and lordship. And this whole thing, as Paul, is an invitation. Can you just be invited back? Can we just take a second and just recognize that Jesus is, and we are in him, and we will be in him, and our work is to be reminded and renewed of what life in him is is like and how it is supposed to be lived. That is where life is best lived. Amen? I love it. He's the image of God. He's the image of the invisible God. And this is really important because for generations, everybody had been guessing, what is God like? They've been crying out to God, what is God actually like? And Jesus came as a perfect representation of of the Father. The perfect, and the perfect representation so that God is completely Christ-like. You're, if, if you have any imagination of God that is not found in Christ, it is out of alignment. Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father. So anything we think about God that we don't see in the life of Jesus needs to be adjusted to the life of Jesus. Jesus is the radiance of the image of God. He is the image of God. And I love that because I remember, have you ever had the experience when like HD TVs first came out, like high definition TVs? Remember that? That was only like, what, 12, 15 years ago or something like that? Do you ever remember standing in Best Buy, just like looking at the screen? Oh my gosh! That was me. I, I don't know if you did that, but I was standing in front of TVs. We'd go to these electronic stores just so I could look at these TVs. You see this, babe? 
look at the colors, look at the details. How is that even possible? How are you fitting all of that into this screen? Right? And every time they come out with new technology, it's the same thing. Oh my gosh! And it's just getting better and better. And that's what Jesus was doing to our perception of God, right? And it's like when I first got my glasses, I knew I needed glasses, but I didn't know how badly I needed them until I got them. Like, we should probably get glasses. So I get glasses, I get the whole eye test, the eye exam, and I put them on. And the whole drive home, I'm just blown away. Life is, I'm like seeing details I didn't see before. I'm seeing lines in the road. I'm seeing the snow up in the mountains. I'm like, oh my gosh, this all existed? Like these things were here before I got these. It's like, oh my, where have I been this entire time? Jesus should elicit the same response from us as we look into his eyes and look into his face. That we look into him and say, oh my gosh, I was just guessing this entire time, but when we look and behold the face of Jesus, something should open up to see the nuance, the detail, the color that we never saw. That's why he came, is to show us what we were always guessing about. He is the image of the invisible God. Come on. And he is preeminent. So what I love about the, the flow of this passage, I'm talking about what Jesus revealed about the Father, the Lord of creation, the firstborn of all creation. But he's the firstborn of all new creation as well. And he reconciled us into himself. Scripture says, For in him all the fullness of God. Now let me back up. It says, He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. What a great word, preeminent. This, this word preeminent, the Greek word is, is actually comes from proteo, and I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it's, it's, a, it's a version of where we get the word prototype from. And so not only is he the Lord of creation, he shows us what God is like, but he's the Lord of new creation as the second Adam coming to do what Adam was called, was invited to do the first time and couldn't do. Jesus came to restore that. He was the firstborn from the dead, and he came to establish that, that he might be preeminent, right? So he might be above, but a prototype is this word that for us, we get this indication that Jesus came to show us what God's blueprint for humanity actually can be. That Jesus is the prototype for what it means to be genuinely and perfectly human. He was setting a bar for us. This is what it looks like to live in divine union with the Godhead. He came to reveal God to us and he came to reveal us to ourselves. Do you understand that? Jesus is the perfect marriage of heaven and earth. Jesus within his body. He embodies the perfect marriage of heaven and earth. To show us what God is like and to show us who we can be through the gospel as we believe in the good news. He is not just an exception. Oh man, well that was for Jesus. No, 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 that's not why he came. He didn't, came, he didn't come to create another division. He came to show us what's possible as we believe in him. What kind of life is possible? And so that's why it's so unbelievably important that we understand in our culture the, the, the necessity of surrender to Jesus, 
of my life is not my own. Jesus, I'm not just going to add you to my well-groomed and well-composed and well-ordered life because you have a few good things to say that I think are going to help me win the day. Because that's the message of the culture, right? No, no, no. Life is best lived in God, Jesus. My whole life, <clears throat> my life is not my own. You have purchased me, you've bought me with the price, and I, I am yours. And we are yours. And that's the thing. That's what makes him the head of the church. And so as he, as he has reconciled all of these wrongdoing, these evil things into his body, and he's bore that into his flesh, what went wrong in creation, he has formed it into a new creation, which is the church. And do you guys, can we just be reminded here that God's view of the church is much higher than our view of the church. What God thinks about the church, which is men and women surrendered to him in loving union with him and with each other. God's view of the church. This is, the church is how, is how Jesus occupies the earth. Do you understand that? The church is God's plan to occupy the entire earth. That is ridiculous. That means he's relying on us. Does that kind of feel like a mistake? It's exactly. Oh, no. But no. But, but this is like, he's like, no, 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 no. This is, this is the mystery hidden for ages that is now being revealed to the saints. That we didn't know it before, but now it's been made known, this administration that was entrusted to Paul. And he's calling the church to this mystery of like, gosh, you guys understand this is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And what I love about that is a lot of times we read this passage about Christ in you, the hope of glory, and we read that individually, and it is true, it's individually. You know, Christ is in you, and he is the hope of glory within you, and his glory is inside of you. But I think in this particular context, he's referring to Christ in you, the saints, Sometimes we, forget, we, we come, we've so privatized and personalized our experience, our spirituality with God, we forget that his actual, his, 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 his actual working out, the flushing out of his purposes happens through a people called the church, not just individual Christians. You guys understand that? No, it is personal and it is one at a time. We each confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. We each have to take ownership for where we are at. But ultimately what God is doing over the course, this whole story where this is all actually heading is God making for himself a people, one people. His body, while we refer to like a community as his body, his body is flooding the entire earth. His body is universal. His body is, his, his, is, is past, present, and future. Do you guys realize how expansive that is? Men and women all across the world, we are connected. Do you guys realize in this room right now, we have Republicans, and we have Democrats, and a few Libertarians, and some nuns, and we all just sang the same songs. Do you guys realize we have people of different socioeconomical statuses, we have people of different, uh, uh, different ethnicities, but we're able to sing together amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Do you realize that the, the work in the gospel of Jesus has this cohesive property of bringing us together in an unlikely way where you can sit next to somebody thinking, man, I probably would have never chose you by myself if it were up to me, but since God has chosen you, I choose you as well. That's what the gospel does to us. 
And that's the hope of glory, right? That's the hope of this rising. So he's the Lord creation and new creation. He's the head of the body, the church. And he begins to start calling the church in Colossae to remain stable. He said, if you continue in the faith, stay stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel you've heard. And he's going he's to open that can pretty soon. He's going to open that can with the Colossians because there has been shifting. They're shifting away from the hope that they had heard. They're, they're, there's indication that they're not staying stable and steadfast in this good news that was once proclaimed to him, proclaimed to them. So he's calling them back into that, and he's reminding them, listen, I have become a minister. This has been my life duty. This is my calling. In other, other, other letters, he would refer to it as a stewardship given to him by God. This is like he's, given him, he's been given this by God. And, and for that reason, because of this high view of what God is doing, because of this view of Jesus that informs his view of the church, what happens is he, he can actually enter into suffering and he uses this crazy word called rejoice. And we were spending some time looking at this passage this week with some of the leaders and um, it's one thing for God to be with us in our suffering, but to have Paul in verse 24 say, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Rejoicing in sufferings? Oh! But the thing is, what was driving him, this, this, there, was, there was a propeller behind him, and he just couldn't stop. It's like he's going full throttle. He just could not stop. And he knew at this point this was going to cost him everything. It was going to cost him his life. All of it. He did, it, wasn't just a, it wasn't just a possibility. I believe that Paul at this point is like, you know what? It's all or nothing. I cannot get away with the message about another kind of Lord that's different than Caesar. I can't get away with that message unless this ends in death. But you know what? Even death is worth it for this message to get out. And so Paul, was, was, he was motivated, he was rejoicing in what he was experiencing because he knew that he, while he was in prison, <laughs> the rest of the church was starting to flourish. He knew he was taking a hit, he was drawing enemy fire, so to speak, while the rest of the church was going for it. And so he's, he was able to rejoice, he's like, you know what, this is what, what God's given to me and I'm just going to make the most out of it, I'm going to write some letters from prison as I'm, being, as I'm hungry and thirsty and being beaten. And he said he was filling up in his afflictions, he is filling up. You know, he said, in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. Now, that's a confusing passage. Oftentimes, we read that. I'm like, okay, that sounds great, but what was lacking in Christ? Are you saying Jesus was lacking something on the cross? Did he not fully complete that? And that's not really the nature of what he's trying to say. He's not saying, I'm going you know, to pick up where Jesus you know, didn't finish the thing. That's, that's, not the, that's not the whole story. It's more like I'm going to continue on with what he started. I'm going to continue on. I'm going to, I'm going to continue to receive affliction if that's what I need to do for, the, for what Jesus started to continue to spread. Because that was what was propelling him, this purpose that was beyond what everybody was seeing. There was something that was um, pushing him into adversity, pushing him into discomfort, pushing him into inconvenience. God help us. Um, 
It, and it reminded me, recently we have a, <clears throat> we have a friend who uh, recently returned from Kona, and he ran an Ironman. Anybody in here run an Ironman before? That's what I thought. Um, 2.4 miles of swimming, 110 miles of bike riding, and then a marathon. Back to back, same time. Just, just shoot me now. Um, so we found out that our friend was going. He had, he had run several of these earlier in his career. He was a professional athlete. But he's going again because he, was, he, was, he went to go. He was training a friend. There was a friend he had who was on this mission to lose a bunch of weight. And then he decided, man, I'm going to start running some Ironmans. And so he started walking with this guy for years and training him, showing him how to do it. And this guy, basically, the way it works in Ironman world, Kona is like the world championship of Ironman. Kona, Hawaii, it's like the best of the best of the best. And the only way to get there is if you, like, finish, like, top in one of the other races, or if you've run 12 Ironman <laughs> or something like that. If you run 12 of them, like, they're just going to let you in. And, oh, it's a drawing? No, I think, I think it, it's, a, it's a lottery? Okay, I'm being corrected as I'm speaking. Um, it's a lottery, but there's... Do you have to qualify for that? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate the feedback I'm getting right now, by the way. Anybody else? There's a comment card in front of you. Anything you'd like to correct? Just form a line. We'll just... Okay. All right, do you guys mind if I reel this back in? And... Too many mistakes in the last 30 seconds. So anyways... His, uh, his friend was, was training to do this, training to go to Kona, excited about it. And then one day while he was, I think he was on a run, his, his heart stopped and he, uh, he died um, for, for no apparent reason. Just something happened in his heart and he died. So my friend AJ, he, uh, he, uh, he decided that he was going to go to Kona on, uh, on, on his friend's behalf and, and, and do the race for him, right? And so he went there and I remember him posting pictures the last couple of weeks of him like on these these major, like these historic roads, um, you know these uh, bike routes. Talking about his friend, like he was carrying his ashes with him, like around his neck, and say, "Man, me and Joe, we were together on this bike ride, or me and Joe, we were together in this swim, you know, going across this channel." Um, and and he was referring to it, and you know, I started thinking about it, even in relation to this passage. Paul is like, as Paul is. Is, is on this journey, as Paul is living out what he believes to be his calling, there's this, there's this place in him where, where Jesus, it's not that what Jesus did was insufficient, but he picked up where he left off and he kept going. And it's almost as if you see Paul, it's like, you know what? I have Jesus. I bear in my flesh the sufferings of Christ. He is with me and I'm going to run. I'm going to endure. I'm going to give all I can to take this even further than he left off. You guys can kind of get, get the sense of this. And so he, he, he's propelling, he's, he's moving forward, he's gaining momentum. And he says, For this I toil, struggling with all this, his, his energy that he powerfully works in me, that he may present everyone mature in Christ. And so for Paul, what really matters at the end of the day is that everyone is growing up in Christ. Every person is, is seeing Christ, the supremacy and all-sufficiency of Jesus, and how that applies to all of life, right? 
Because the lordship of Jesus, the supremacy of Jesus, it means something. It's more than just a confession of your mouth. It means something when it comes to your money. It means something when it comes to your sex life. It means something when it comes to your marriage and your family. It means something when it comes to your singleness. All of these things are callings that God has given us to say, I want to demonstrate to you how the, my lordship and the good news of the gospel applies to every single part of your life. It touches everything. It's pervasive. Uh, it, it gets into everything. There's no part of our life that doesn't get exposed to the white-hot heat of the glory of God. And so Paul's saying, I have given myself to this, that, that the, the wisdom of God, that these people may be complete in wisdom, mature in Christ, and I'm going to toil, I'm going to work at this with his power in me until this is made manifest. And I think maybe I'll stop there. Sarah, if you want to come up and play some keys, I, a question that I would ask is like, we see this progression as Paul is, again, ramping up in, in this beautiful letter. <clears throat> he feels the need to lay a foundation of a new view of Jesus, which I would argue is the most potent powerful description of Jesus in all of Scripture. And Paul is laying this out so that he can give them a higher view of themselves and the church. And ultimately, so he can help them understand why he is going through what he is going through. Because he can't unchoose what God has called out in him. He is moving forward and nothing is stopping him. And I think it's a really good question for us here today. What, what are we willing to endure to follow the purpose of, G, of, of Jesus for our lives? What is it that we're willing to endure? Is your view of Jesus, is our view of Jesus high enough that it demands something of us? Is our view of Jesus clear enough and radiant enough that it reorganizes the way we see life? Is it, is it strong enough? Is it strong enough view of Jesus that it gives us strength and power to endure into his purposes and what he's called us to? And if the answer is no or a maybe or, or it, it used to be and I'm just not sure, those answers are okay, but I believe that Jesus just want, he wants to he wants he wants to show us himself again. Jesus wants to show us himself. He wants to show us how complete and perfect and all sufficient and supreme he is, how preeminent he is. It is impossible to live the Christian life without a proper view of Jesus. It's frustrating. It's actually, yeah, it's impossible. You cannot live the Christian life. Jesus can live the Christian life, and he invites us into his strength and his power. So, So this morning, as we think about this, as we let the words of Scripture address us today, can we take a moment to receive the gift of grace from Jesus across the room? I want to read, I want to read this Christ hymn again. I want to read this and I just want to invite you, like 
In fact, let's pray for a moment before we read it. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to recalibrate our minds, to renew our thinking that this, these, these passages about Jesus are not cute things that we're just going to read through and then move on from, but it's the, the, the base point, the fountainhead of the gospel. So if you would mind just closing your eyes today as I read, as I read this Christ hymn, and let's just receive the beauty of Jesus. Let's behold the beauty of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Thank you, God. This morning, Jesus, God, we might confess that we don't always have a proper view of you. And because we haven't had a proper view of you, sometimes that has affected our view of the church and who we are as a people. And this morning, God, we ask that you would show us your glory in the face of Jesus. Would you captivate us in our imagination? to know you in the depths of our being. Beyond words, God. Beyond knowledge, Lord, but would you let it enter into the wisdom of God. And Jesus, as we see you and who you are, I pray for an overflow of thanksgiving. I thank you for an overflow of gratitude and thanksgiving that you have not withheld yourself from us. You are not distant from us. But you're closer than our very breath. You're closer than our skin. You're closer to us than we are to ourselves, God. And I thank you this morning for the freedom that comes when we surrender to who you are.
Jesus, we love you in this place. As we go from here, Lord God, let a fragrance go with us, a fragrance of those who've been with Jesus, that we could fill the earth and be sent in the power of your Spirit to display and reflect your lordship and your kingship. I pray a blessing over this body of believers as we seek and we work together, as we labor together, God. As we are reconciled to you, God, let us be reconciled to each other to display something to the world that you placed us in, God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen.